not sure about you, I think one of the hardest experiences, bear with me here for a moment, but one of the hardest experiences I think in the human existence is waiting. It doesn't seem to matter whether you're waiting for something good. Can you remember that as a kid? Someone might have told you that something was going to happen that you are just so excited about. Maybe it was your grandparents coming to visit, maybe it was a fishing trip, a trip to you know, SeaWorld or something that you really think is going to be very exciting. And they tell you it's going to happen, but it's not happening now. It's going to happen next week or tomorrow or in one hour. Man, who can remember one hour when you were a kid? It just felt like an eternity sometimes. Church, when is that guy going to stop talking? When, when's the preacher going to finish? When can we go home and go, you know... Maybe you're thinking that now. But waiting, even for good things, is difficult. But waiting for bad things is really difficult too, isn't it? Waiting is an incredibly difficult experience for us to have, whether it's for something good or something bad. Um, and yet it's something that we maybe don't give a lot of thought to, how we wait. I think waiting is an immense gift that God gives us and asks us to steward well. How will we wait? Last week, we introduced this little series that we're doing at the moment about the final week that Jesus had before the cross and today marks on our calendars the beginning of that week. And I uh, directed your attention to a verse in Psalms. I want to put it back on the screen again. I think it's there, isn't it? Um, where the Lord asks us to teach us to count our days. Do you remember that? If you were here last week, we talked about that. Teach us to count our days and to give us a heart of wisdom. Um, and we could make light of that. Um, we talked about how many days... You know, we're in a year or how many days in the month and there were 30 days left or there were just seven days that Jesus had left. And, and we could maybe, that could be very theoretical for us, but I know that there were people in that room last Sunday. There could be very well people in the room today. That's not a theoretical conversation that you've had. That's a very real conversation that you've had and sat across the desk from a doctor and heard them say. There are... There are this many months expected. There are this many years expected. Reality is that most of us just don't know what those months or those years are, but some do. So how do we steward the waiting well? Maybe that's a question that we'll look into more on another occasion. Last week, we drew our focus towards saying, how did Jesus spend his seven days? What, what, what did these next seven days look like for Jesus? And last week, we particularly thought about what was it that he had to say in the public arena? What was it that he had to say to the crowds, to the, to the people that were gathering to hear him in the temple, to the religious leaders that were highly triggered about the fact that Jesus was here and things were starting to snowball towards his 
eventual crucifixion. But this week, I want to pull away from the public crowd a little bit and I want to find the places in the Gospels. In particular, it's going to be the Gospel of John today. So you can grab your Bibles and find the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the one that we're going to focus in on a little bit today. Stands to reason, I think, that John, a really precious friendship to Jesus, um, talked about the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, he loved all of us, all of his disciples. He loves all of us. But there seems to be this very um, intimate and special friendship between Jesus and John. And I think it's interesting that John records so much of the intimate and private conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. He was there and heard them. And that's what we want to do today. We want to focus in on some of the things that Jesus had to say to his closest friends in private in these seven days before the cross. I asked you last week, I'll ask you again this week in the context of the private conversations, if you knew that you had seven days, seven days left of conversations to take place, what are the things that you would want to say to your friends? What are the conversations that you would want to have with the people that you love the most, knowing that these are the seven days that you're going to have to have them in? Well, that's what we're going to do today in thinking about what did Jesus focus on. And there are four things that I want to um, highlight that Jesus focused on in these seven days as he spoke to his closest friends. The first one is John chapter 13, so find that chapter. John chapter 13. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. I have the readings on the screen. John chapter 13. And we're going to start from verse 1. This reading is going to be the longest of the readings. And we're going to get into verse 17. Found it? Great. John chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head, right? One who was bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. And a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. That's God's word. Here's the thing that I want you to focus in on this little fairly well-known passage to many people. What was Jesus doing here? We could spend an entire morning, we're not going to, and breaking down what was happening here, but I want you just to, to see the big point that I think Jesus was trying to make here. And it's this. The first thing that Jesus wants to focus on in the last seven days that he's got with his friends is this. Serve. Serve, right? Serve. The main point of this is pretty clear. Serve others. There's a lot of things that I think Jesus could focus in on in this last seven days. He's had three years with his friends, three years with his disciples. He's taught them lots of things. But what would he circle back around to? What are the things that he wants to crystallize in their mind in this last week before the events of the cross? The trauma of this broken friendship that's going to occur. The rejection of even the disciples who ran and abandoned him, who deny him. What are the things that Jesus wants them to remember so well? And the first thing is this, serve, serve others, right? Jesus left us an example of what that looks like. It's it's sacrificial service. The master, the Lord, right? It, It makes a point of it. You call me master and Lord, and you're right, I am. So if I, the master and Lord, your teacher, should do this, then shouldn't you do that as well? Shouldn't we do that as well? He even explicitly tells us what he expects. Look at John 13, verse 15 again. Have a look at it. Underline it in your Bible if you're an underlining person. Verse 15. You cannot get any clearer as to what was in Jesus' mind here. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. So we should serve. That's what we should do. The problem is, however, the problem is is that we're human. Our hearts are distorted and, and fractured in lots of ways. Our, our logic and our thinking is easily twisted because it is possible to serve for all sorts of reasons. Jesus said serve, didn't he? Serve. And we go, okay, we're going to serve. But, but we're pretty clever at serving in a way that serves ourselves. There are all sorts of reasons that we can serve and not all of them have noble motivations. Not all of them have in mind the way that Jesus knelt before his disciples and took the position of a servant, a household slave to wash the feet 
to wash the dirt and the, and the grime from the, the feet of the guests. That was not something that a, a household member did. We can serve for, well, let's name them. We can serve, and on the appearance it looks like service, but really it's an effort for personal recognition. I haven't looked, needed to look anywhere else in this church to come up with this list. I just had to look at my own heart. We can serve, but our motivation is I hope people notice me serving. Right? I hope someone's taking a little mental note of how many chairs I've stacked or how often I'm here vacuuming. I hope someone's recognizing that. In fact, probably not us older guys, but I can remember being at youth group. It was kind of like a youth group Christian flex, wasn't it? How many chairs could I actually stack up and move? Six chairs. I can lift not only as a mark of my strength, but of course my humble Christian attitude towards serving others. <laughs> We're very good at saying, no, 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 let me do it. Let me do it. No, no, let, let me do it. Did anyone else hear that? I wanted personal recognition. Or maybe we serve simply to feel better about ourselves. We do all sorts of tasks to serve others, but ultimately so that we feel better about ourselves. That I, I feel like I'm doing something and, I'm, and I now can go home and, I'm, and I've served and I can feel better. Or maybe we serve sometimes in a way that actually denies the gospel as we attempt to balance the scales of good and evil. I've done enough good things this week, God must be happy with me. So I think Jesus is right. Yes, serve others. The example is there, the type of service, but, but we need to be careful in our serving, even as we try to obey what Jesus has asked us to do, that, that we're going to root this in the right place, that we're going to build this service on the right foundation. So we need to serve, yes, but we need to serve from the right source. And our next reading is going to tell us what that is. So I want you to turn, still in John 13, but just go down to verse 31. This is another conversation that Jesus had privately with his disciples. John 13, verse 31, just a shorter reading. So our first, our first focus point was serve. Now let's read John 13, 31. When he had left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him if God is glorified in him God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once little children I am with you a little while longer you will look for me and just as I told the Jews so now I tell you where I'm going you cannot come I give you a new command. Right? Their ears would have pricked up, so should ours. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one 
one another. So our first focus point that we had was serve. Serve. But the second is this. Love. Right? Serve, but then love. And love like Jesus loves. Sacrificially. Love in a way which is... um, Found in service, yes, but it's deeper than just the things that we do. Love as I have loved you. There's the benchmark. So when we start saying, well, well, what does it look like? What does this love look like? We can can go back, can't we? And start looking at the life of Jesus and saying, how did Jesus love us? How did Jesus demonstrate his love for us? God demonstrates his love for us like this, that he would lay down his only begotten son. Love and love like Jesus. What I want you to highlight here in your thinking is the fact that Jesus links really clearly the relationship between love and witness, which is quite interesting. By this, verse 35... By this. Now, what's what's the this? Well, you go back to verse 34. I give you a new command. Not a new suggestion. Not even a new example. A new command. The Son of God, the High King of Heaven, comes down and He says, I've got a new command. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. There's the command. The command in itself is love one another. There's the command, but it has a a disclaimer. It it has a a parenthesis, a a clause. Because we say, well, how, how do we love then? And he says, well, look to me, the way that I loved you, now you go and love other people like that. That's the command. But verse 35... By this, by this sort of love, everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. So we we serve, there's the first point, we serve, but we serve from love. And that love that we serve with, that love that we display, that love that we have and demonstrate for one another, Jesus says it's a witnessing tool. So we could sit down as a church and say, listen, how, how do you think that Raymond Terrace, can, Raymond Terrace as, as a broader community, how will it know about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And there's lots of things that we could do. We could do a letter box drop and give them a tract, and that's a good thing. It outlines the truth of the gospel. We could go door to door. We could, we, we could do any. The sky's the limit with our creativity as to what we could do. But Jesus says, you know what, what will happen if you start loving one another the way that Jesus loved us? People will know. People will know. So we love one another. That, that's our baseline, right? And we love 
one another like Jesus loved. And so maybe Lenin was right. All you need is love, right? I was waiting for it. All right. Is that the message that we tell the world? Is that the message that we share? Love people, do good. Love people and do good. And I think on the surface that sounds really good. Just love people. Man, even our, our secular world has caught a hold of that slogan. Love is love, right? Who are we to question it? We can define love in any way we want to. Any way that feels right for us. Any way that we want to. Just call it love and, and, and you can't argue against that. So it sounds good, but it's incomplete. Because just as serving others required to be built, it was required to be built on something more foundational than just doing good things for other people, serving people needed to be founded in love, service and love need to be built on something solid as well. Otherwise, we just all walk around saying, let's just do good things and be kind, right? That's not a bad place to start. Kath and I were just having this conversation the last couple of days about kindness. I think one of the most underrated Christian characteristics there are. Kindness. Just be kind, right? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, Paul says in Romans. It's powerful. But let's make sure it's founded in the right place. So let's go to a third conversation that Jesus had. John 14 this time. John 14. Verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I, have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. The first thing we said was serve. Jesus said to us, listen guys, my time's running short. I want you to understand this. 
get about serving one another. And he gave us the example of what that looks like. But that needs to be built on something more than just doing good things. That service needs to come out of a place of love. Love like Jesus loves. But service and love, well, they need to be rooted in a solid place. That solid place is belief. Belief. He looks at his friends and they're like, he says, you know where I'm going? And they all look at each other. Can you imagine that conversation? Just Jesus and his mates standing around. He says to them, you know where I'm going. And they all look at each other going. And some of them are going, yeah. Yeah, we know, but yeah, Thomas, right? <laughs> Thomas was that guy that later on, I, I don't believe Jesus is alive. Until I get to put my hands in his side and his hands there, I don't believe he's resurrected. And Jesus is so gracious. Turns up after the resurrection, miraculously in the room. Thomas, come over here. I think Thomas knows where this conversation is going, right? Puts out his hand. Thomas, come on. No, I don't need to. Thomas, come on. Jesus is so gracious with us, even in our unbelief. But it's Thomas. Everybody else maybe nodding their heads going, yeah, yeah, we, we know Jesus. It's all good. They'd, they'd got this Christian game down pat. Just pretend that you know. Fake it till you make it. Thomas just goes, I don't know where you're going, Jesus. Where are you going? And Jesus says, Thomas, just look to me, right? Believe. Believe. I am the way, Thomas. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the third thing that Jesus wants us to focus in on, on this seven-day journey that he has left with his friends before the cross. Serve one another sacrificially, but make sure that comes from a place of love, where you love one another just the way that Jesus loved us, but to make sure that that's founded in the right place. Guys, do it out of a place of knowledge, a place of belief in who Jesus is. We can't just construct our own definitions of service and our own definitions of love. It comes out of a place of saying, this is who Jesus is. And I'm going to the Father, but I'm going on the way that He has said, which is, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father apart from Him. There isn't another way. Even in all the carefully constructed ways that we come up with in our thinking, there isn't another way. It's just Jesus. And He is sufficient. He is enough. Service and love only find their deepest and truest form when they spring from a place outside of who we are. And they're founded in who Jesus is. There isn't another way. And yet, we need to move to our fourth thing. Even when we speak about belief, we need to, be, we need to, to speak in really clear terms about this, right? Not all belief is created equal. Even when we talk about belief in Jesus. You might think, oh, Chris, that's, be careful there. Are you saying that some people have a 
a more profound sort of um, knowledge of Jesus, a secret knowledge of Jesus that makes them more spiritual. If I can just tap into that, Chris, and, and that's not what I'm talking about at all. That's a, that's a heresy. But there is a type of belief which is a type of belief that just rests here, a type of knowledge and academic understanding is the sort of belief that I think James, the brother of Jesus, talks about when he writes his letter to the church over in the book of James. Don't have to worry about turning to, but James chapter 2, verse 19. James, quite a punchy sort of confronting guy, he says, you believe that God is one? Good! Exclamation point. And then he says, even the demons believe. And they shudder. You see, there's a type of belief that rests just here, an academic knowledge about Jesus, and says, yeah, I understand, I know who Jesus is. But we don't want to talk about that type of belief. We serve others sacrificially out of a place of love, a love that Jesus showed us. And we do that out of a place of belief, in acknowledging that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But even then, there's something deeper that Jesus wants to drive us to. And it's the fourth reading. John chapter 15, just eight verses. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, they throw them in the fire and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Here's the fourth thing that Jesus crystallizes in these conversations. I'm going to use the terminology from the older translation that I grew up with, and the word is abide. Abide. I love that word. I love it. So there's serve, serve one another. That's very... Very easy to do on the surface. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that we do. It's an action. But then we go a little bit deeper than serve. Jesus says, do that out of love. Love people like I have loved you. That's a little bit deeper again. But even that, we need to go down a little bit deeper again. And that comes from a place of belief, right? A belief in who Jesus is. The way, the truth, and the life. The, the way to know the Father. But Jesus isn't satisfied in just his disciples knowing, okay, serve, got that. Love, tick, got that. Believe, yes, got that. But where Jesus really wants to drive them to is abide. 
remain. Live in, dwell, find your deepest satisfaction and joy from, find your fruit in Jesus, right? Abide. Yeah, we can serve. We should. Jesus asked us to. Yes, we need to love. He commanded us to. We need to believe it's the only way that we can come to the Father. But Jesus crystallizes in his disciples' thinking and he wants to do it for us this morning by the Spirit. Guys, we need to abide. Abide in Jesus, right? And there's the picture there, the, the vine, the branches. We, we get that. I've got a, what's our vine called, hun? A wisteria. Is that right? We have a wisteria vine growing at our place and um, it is amazing at different time of year to now it's starting to slow down now but in the spring literally overnight I don't use that word literally like young people use the word literally I mean literally as in it actually happens you go to bed at night having trimmed the wisteria vine and in the morning wake up and there can be runners a foot long that have grown overnight. It just goes out of control. And you've got to get out there with the prunes and cut it back. And it seems like the more you cut it, the more it grows. But it's a beautiful picture, right? Trim those branches off, those runners, cut them off. Kath just did this the other day. She asked me to do it. I don't think... I did it, I forgot, and I came home and it was all trimmed and she got out there and trimmed it. Thanks, hon. And she chucked all the things into the, into the bin. And all the vine branches that are on the vine that are growing around our little privacy screen and intertwined on it, they're beautiful, they're lush, they're green, it's a really healthy vine. But within hours, the ones that had been cut off were shriveling and drying and dying. There'll be nothing good for them at all apart from the next time we have a fire we can use them for kindling this is Jesus point life happens when we live in Jesus health and, and vitality and fruit happen when we live in Jesus when we abide in him when he is our source of life and hope and peace and joy and Jesus knows it. He knows the, the challenges the disciples are going to face in the coming weeks, in the coming months, in the coming years. He knows the challenges that his disciples will have down through the generations as the church grows and expands. He knows the challenges that you're having right now. He knows the conversations that have had to take place as you sat across from a doctor and heard, I just have six months maybe left to live, or maybe one year. He knows the challenges that are there, and he says... Abide. Abide in me. Remain in me and I in you. That's where you find fruit in life. So let's finish. Jesus, before the cross, crystallizes a conversation with just a few friends. Three years of teaching, three years of example, three years of working, and it comes down to seven days left. And these are the conversations that he wants to have serve one another so church let's get about serving one another it's what jesus wanted us to hear 
Serve one another sacrificially, but make sure that comes out of a place of love, not out of a place of self-grandeur or notification or, or look at me, I'm such a great Christian or I'm, I'm really trying to pull my socks up and change my life about, so I'm going to serve more. No, serve like Jesus serves out of a place of love because we love like Jesus loves. But even that has to go deeper than that and it comes to a place of belief. Who do you say Jesus is? An add-on to your life? Or is he the way? Just another option for you? Or is he the truth? Is he something that you just fit into your life? Or is he the life? But more than just belief, more than just a, a tick box that you said, yes, I've got my belief thing sorted out now. Jesus says, even deeper than that, Abide with me. Abide with me. Live with me. Hear me. Let my words live in you. Find your source of strength and life and joy in me. Abide with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are willing, firstly, to just take that position of a servant, kneel before us, wash our feet. And we're like Peter. We sit there and just go, oh no, Lord, do you not washing my feet? Or maybe the other extreme, if you're going to wash my feet, wash all of me. But you've shown us what it looks like to serve out of a place of love. Lord, help us to do that. We want this community around us to know that we're your disciples. We, we want them to know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So Lord, help us to serve one another. Help us to love one another. But Lord, help us to know who you are. Help us to walk this way and this truth and this life in such a way that glorifies the Father. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we disassociate ourselves from you. We, we disconnect. We think there are other things that we'll find life and joy and peace in and Lord, help us to abide. We want to be a people who abide in you. For your sake and for your glory, but Lord, for our good. We know that that's, that's what you've said. Life is so wonderful and good when you will abide in me. Even when we have to have hard conversations. Even when our, our, our future is uncertain. Even when health or sickness or grief are in our way. Lord, that we would be a people who would abide in you and you will never, never forsake us. And so we thank you. As we celebrate Palm Sunday, we welcome you. We say Hosanna to the King. And we look forward to, even though Friday is coming, we know that that's not the end of the story. You are the God who abides still. And we thank you in your own precious name. Amen.